one of the reasons why he says, I don't want you to do anything that causes one of your weaker brothers or sisters to stumble. And we talked about that. We called it the stumbling block principle, uh, those gray areas that are not clearly defined. Uh, in those gray areas, we want to make sure that we're acting in love, building up our brothers and sisters, not doing anything that would cause them to trip and to fall. And chapter 9 is an illustration of what Paul's talking about in chapter 8. It's a pretty long chapter. We're going to move through it really quickly. Uh, but the, it's a picture of Paul saying, I'm denying myself certain rights that I have in order to more effectively love God and love y'all. So picking up in verse 1. Am I not free? The answer is yes. Am I not an apostle? The answer is yes. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The answer is yes. Uh, for Paul, when he became a Christian on the Damascus Road, he, he didn't think he saw a vision. He, he, Jesus appeared to him. Um, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Yes, you are. Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my, my apostleship in the Lord. Real quick, so for Paul, there were two criteria for being an apostle. Seeing Jesus with your the resurrected Jesus physically, and then planting a church in some unreached area. Paul had done both of those things, so he's saying, yes, I am an apostle. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. We've said since we've been in 1 Corinthians, there's a group that is opposing him. Don't we have the right to food and drink? The answer is yes. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? That's another name for Peter. The answer is yes. Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier as, at his own expense? No one who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes. No one who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk. No one. Do I say this merely from a human point of view? No. Doesn't the law say the same thing? Yes. For it is written in the law of Moses. Don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? No. Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes. This was written for us because when the plowman plows and the, thresher, and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? No. If others have the right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Yes. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So we're going to pause right there. You get that. First 14 verses, all Paul's trying to do is say, I deserve money from y'all. Because of the work that I've done among you, preaching, establishing this church, I have every right to expect y'all to financially, material, materially, financially, we'll just stick with that, support me. That's the case that he's making in those 14 verses. He's saying, I, can, I have every right to ask y'all for money. It says, kind of the key verse there is verse 12, where he says, but we did not use this right. How come we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ? So that's what Paul is doing. He's not taking money from them. And the reason he's not taking money from them is because he doesn't want to hinder his work as an evangelist. But he has every right to do so. Verse 15, but I've not used any of these rights, any of these rights to have a wife, Paul is single, to take support from you. I'm not doing any of those things, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone de deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I can't boast, for I'm compelled to preach. 
woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of any of my rights in preaching it. Again, you see there Paul saying, I have this right. I'm making a choice not to use it because I want to make sure the gospel is delivered free of charge. Verse 19, though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, those are Gentiles, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So he's saying I'm using my freedom in order to further the gospel, in order to be faithful to God's calling on my life as an evangelist. I'm using my freedom for that. And then verse 24 to close out. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So what Paul's saying is I use my freedom in this way in order to further the gospel. It's not for self-indulgence. I'm very, he's talking here about self-discipline. I have discipline in my own life because at the end of this race, when I'm done, I want to make sure I have not disqualified myself so kind of what's going on there two major questions paul asks am i not free am i not an apostle we'll do the second one first am i not an apostle apparently there are people in the corinthian church who were opposing paul who were saying we don't need to listen to him he's not actually an apostle and the reason we know he's not an apostle is because he's not taking any money all the others take money for some reason paul and barnabas aren't taking money he was a tent maker we know that from acts that was a menial job the corinthians were looking down on him because of the way he chose to pay the bills, and they were using that against him. Nobody needs to listen to this guy. He's not a true apostle. Culturally, at the time, there were uh, traveling philosophers, traveling teachers, traveling evangelists for other religions, and all of them would have expected support from the people who they spoke to. Paul is not taking that. They're using that against him. He justifies not taking the money. He says, I'm, I'm free. Nobody owns me. That's one of the reasons is he doesn't want to be owned by any man. I don't know that any of you have ever felt that. Uh, maybe you do with your employer, those of you who work. If you've ever been in a church or a nonprofit, sometimes you get this. There can be a chilling effect if one guy's writing all the checks. And you can feel this sense of obligation towards this person who's paying your salary. Well, I don't want to step on his toes, that type of thing. When Paul says he's free, he's saying, Nobody owns me. I pay my own bills, I pay my own way, and that gives me freedom to do what I want, to say what I want, to, to go where I want in, in obedience to the Lord. And also, he says, for the sake of the gospel, it's this message of grace, which is free. This is something freely given to you. So ch- Paul doesn't charge for something that, he's, that God has given away freely. So that's, am I an apostle? Am I not free? He looks at that. Apparently, some folks were saying he wasn't trustworthy. You can't trust Paul because sometimes he eats kosher food. Other times, he doesn't. Sometimes he observes all of these Jewish Sabbath um, ceremonial laws. 
Other times he doesn't. He's a hypocrite. He's two-faced. You can't trust this guy. And what Paul is saying is, no, I'm free from all of those things. To the Jews, I act like a Jew. I eat kosher food when I'm around the Jews. I follow the Sabbath rules when I'm around the Jews. I'm not under that law anymore. But what I'm choosing to do is connect with them on this level. If I am around them and I don't eat kosher food, they're not going to listen to me. They're going to consider me unclean. They're not going to listen to my message. So I'm going to eat this way around them. I'm going to practice these rituals that I know don't mean anything to God. I'm going to do it anyway in order to win a hearing with them. And when I'm with Gentiles, I don't act that way. I know that eating this meat is okay. So I eat this meat because that's where these guys are. And if for me, if I act like a Jew around the Gentiles, what they're going to say is, we don't want to become a Jew. We've already heard about that. We're done. We're not interested. And what Paul's trying to do is get them to see, listen, Jesus, he's bigger than this religious system. So if in order to get them to understand that Jesus is bigger than a religious system, I'm not going to act like a Jew around those guys. I'm not, he's saying I'm not lawless. There's no hint of moral compromise. What he's talking about are those gray areas that we mentioned last week, things that don't matter to God. Paul says in order for me to be faithful to what God has called me to do, I'm going to exercise my freedom in those areas. The goal is to get the gospel communicated clearly to Jew or to Gentile. And so when I'm around the Jews, I'm going to communicate in a way that's effective to them. And with the Gentiles, I'm going to communicate in a way that's effective to them. But I'm not being two-faced. I'm not being a hypocrite. I'm I'm being free. And I want y'all, Corinthians, to recognize that's what's going on. And just in case, I want you to know that it's not freedom for the sake of indulging myself at all. I have a lot of discipline. I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not beating the air. Everything I do has a point, and the point is communicating the gospel. So that's kind of what's going on in chapter 9. The question for us is, so what? I think I'm the only person in here who probably gets paid for preaching. Hopefully this didn't do anything to make you think I don't deserve it. Um, So how does this connect with us at all? The bigger point for us, I think, Paul had this calling from the Lord, and then he shaped his life around that calling. Acts 9 says this, 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, he's a prophet, go, this man is my chosen instrument, referring to Paul, to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So Paul had this calling on his life and then he shaped these choices that he made around that calling. God has called me to preach to Jews, and to preach to Gentiles. And so I'm going to make choices that help me preach to Jews and that help me preach to Gentiles. All of us have a calling on our life. We talk about that all the time. We call it doing your deal. You have one. You have a calling on your life. And God's expectation is that you'll then shape your lifestyle around that calling. Jesus says this in Mark. You remember this passage, I'm sure. He's talking to the Pharisees. They're upset. Actually, because his disciples are not fasting, they're upset. How come your disciples aren't fasting? He says, it's not the time for them to fast because I'm with them. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. What Jesus is saying is, The wineskin 
That's this, that's this Jewish religious system, and it's set. And what God is doing through Jesus is that's new wine. And you can't put this new wine into this old wineskin. Somebody gave me this uh, a couple of years ago. This is, I guess, his version of a wineskin. It actually, I think, just holds water. So the, to carry around liquid in Jesus' day, they would have something like this made from an animal, some part of an animal that was probably gross. And what they would do is, when these things were new, they were flexible. And when they were old, they had already stretched out. They couldn't stretch anymore or they would burst. Wine, you know, ferments. If you put new wine in something that's already stretched, when the wine ferments, it expands, it would bust the skin. You'd lose the skin and you'd lose the wine. So if you have new wine that's still going to ferment and expand, you need to put it in a new skin that's flexible. If you have old wine that's already fermented, well, you can put it in an old skin because it's not going to expand anymore. And so it's not going to bust. Jesus isn't necessarily, at this point, later on he criticizes the religious system. At this point, all he's saying is it's inappropriate. If you're trying to capture what God is doing through me, this is Jesus speaking, then you need a different system. This old system is inappropriate. It won't expand. It won't stretch to what God is doing through me. Same thing with the patch. It's the exact same picture. Two pictures, same truth. It's inappropriate. If the goal is to patch your jeans, then don't do it this way. Don't put this new patch on those jeans. If the goal is to carry your wine from one place to the next, then don't put new wine in an old wineskin. It's not going to work. The wineskin is going to bust. You're going to lose everything, your skin and the wine. So for us, if we overlay that truth on our life, the picture there, the wine for us, is God's calling on our life or God's grace that he's given to us. I'm not talking about saving us. I'm talking about his grace to, to live in a certain way. Do these things, the good works that God has called you to do. That's the wine that he's given to all of us. And he expects us to create an appropriate wineskin to hold that, whatever that happens to look like, our lifestyle. He wants us to create a lifestyle, the choices that we make on a daily basis, big and small, where I'm going to work, where I'm going to live, where my kids are going to go to school, what I'm going to do with my money, what I'm going to do with my time, how I'm going to treat my neighbors. All of those things, all of those choices smashed together equals my lifestyle. And what God expects is I'm going to make those choices. I'm going to shape my lifestyle around this grace that he's given me. Uh, I was with some high school students on Thursday. I got invited to the Marietta High School. They had this senior day. And I was thinking about them. In a lot of ways, I wish, there's not a lot that I would want to go back for, but this, there is one thing I would like to go back to being really 22. If I could be 22 again and have this blank slate. I was listening to these kids. They were all up there talking. and they, Everything is open for them. They hadn't decided where they want to go to college. They don't have a clue. They think they know what they want to do. They don't have a clue what they want to do. And it doesn't matter. They still have all of this time to figure things out. You have that picture, Jesse. It's like they're this blank slate in some ways where anything can be written on them. And that's, if this is what you have, it's really easy to shape your lifestyle around this grace God has given you. Because once he writes what the grace is on that board, then you can make the appropriate choices. It's a wonderful place to be in. The issue for most of us is we're not 22 and the slate is not blank. We've already got all kinds of stuff written on the chalkboard. It looks much more 
like this. And what we're trying to do is figure out how do I fit Jesus into that? How do I fit faithfulness into that? We try to squeeze him in around the edges or put him in and see if this other stuff fits. It's much more costly for many of us to try to shape our life around this grace God has given us because it means we might have to change some things. A silly example. Not silly, but maybe uh, an easy one to grab onto. If the grace God has given me is hospitality, it's not. But let's say it is. If that's the thing for me, and my understanding of hospitality is inviting people into my home, then guess what? I need to be at home. If I'm always in the car, then I can't invite you into my house unless I leave you a key. And hopefully you'll make me dinner for when when I come home. There will be something for us to eat. It doesn't work. I've got to be willing to shape my lifestyle around this grace, this calling to be hospitable, to invite people into my home. And God expects me to. But God, I've got all of... I think he would say, I don't care. This is what I've called you to. Now shape your life around it. Hey, Noah, build an ark. What? An ark? And it's got to be huge. Every animal ever created, they've all got to fit. If they can't swim, they've got to get on this boat. There's no chainsaws, table saw. They don't have any of that stuff. Build an ark. And it's got to be this big. But God, I've got all these. I don't care. Build the ark. And 120 years later, it starts raining. Abraham, I want you to pack up and move to this. But God, my, this is where my dad's from and my granddad's from. And this is where my inheritance. I don't care. I want you to move. Okay. So I'll pick up and move. That's, it's not I don't care, I don't care about you. It's those things don't matter. This is more important. If you'll say yes and shape your life around what he's calling you to, it's better for you in the end because he's the only one who could see around the corner. But what's difficult for us is we already have so many things on the board, we don't know what to cut. What do we get rid of? I can't get rid of a spouse. We can't get rid of our kids very easily. There's a lot of things that I've got to pay the bills. It's easy for us to, to, we get everything narrowed down to we have 17 minutes on Thursday night that we can do something. Okay, God, in this, here's your window. It doesn't work that way. And again, that's a difficult place for many of us to be in. It's not from a sense of disobedience. It's not a sense of rebelliousness. I think for many of us, honestly, it's a sense of helplessness. We don't know what to do. So when God does speak to us and say, here's your thing, here's your deal, I want you to move, shape your life around it to actually make those choices can be very scary, very difficult for us to know what we're actually supposed to do. So a couple of things for you to think about. Freedom and discipline. Verses 19 through 23 are about freedom, 24 through 27 are about self-discipline. You need both. Those things... When we think of freedom and discipline, we probably think of opposites. And I think in a lot of ways, those things do pull in different directions. And if we hold on to both of them, it keeps us out of a ditch on either side of the road. Freedom and discipline. We need the freedom to be led by the Spirit. Most of what we're talking about, these are not um, biblical commands. Where you live, where you work, whether or not you should get married, who you should marry, how many children you should have. You can't find that in here. You've got to be led by the Spirit 
in all of those things. There's some guidance that you can get from the Bible, but there's not a verse that says live here, work here, work this many hours. Like it's not in there. What we all need to do is have the freedom to be led by the Spirit. And that's what Paul, that's where he's living. He's led by the Spirit in terms of when I'm with the Jews, this is how I'm going to function. And when I'm with the Gentiles, this is how I'm going to function. And so that's what that's an encouragement to us. There's not rules. There's not a template. There's not steps. There's not a technique. We each of us needs to ask the Lord, what does it look like for me to shape my life around this calling, around my deal, around this grace right now on February 12, 2012? Don't don't start asking about two years from now or even six months from now for today. God, what does it look like for me to do this? I'll do it. I just need to know what you what it looks like. For some of us, we don't even ask the question, again, because there's so much going on. We don't have time. Discipline yourself to ask the question, and that's where discipline comes in. The culture that we live in is fine with you believing in Jesus. Honestly, they don't care. You can believe in Jesus all you want. Where things begin to get tricky is if you start actually following him. That's when there's going to be a rub, because once you begin to make daily intentional lifestyle choices following Jesus, it's going to shine. Uh, there's, you're going to create a contrast between yourself and people who are following someone else. You're not doing that on purpose, but that's the end result of following Jesus. Everyone who's not following him, well, they're going to be walking in a different direction. And that's where there's a rub that comes in. That's what Paul is experiencing. These guys are giving him a hard time because his following of the Lord is, I'm going to choose to be a tent maker. No, you don't do that. If you're a traveling evangelist, you don't work. You get support from your people, from your congregation. That's the way this thing works. You're embarrassing us because you're choosing to work this blue-collar menial job. Paul was catching flack for that. And the discipline, again, for him is to continue to make that choice. He has the freedom to follow the Holy Spirit, and he has the discipline to continue to do that even when he's facing difficulties, criticism from within the church. Sometimes that's where we create, where we find most of our critics are within the body of Christ. Hebrews talks about running a race. I think the picture for us is each of us have a race to run. This isn't hyper-individualism, but God has a calling on each of our lives, and we have a race to run. The worst thing I can do for Nick is to try to get him to run my race. Nick has his own race, and I don't need to try to bring him into my lane. That's going to cause him to stumble. I absolutely don't need to put any rocks in his path but I think for most of us, what we tend to do is we try to pull people over into our race because we're so convinced this is the thing because it's the thing for me. And so I try to get everybody else to follow Jesus my way. Again, we're talking about gray areas here, these lifestyle choices that aren't necessarily black and white in the Bible. You need the freedom to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you need the discipline to do that on a regular basis, to intentionally make these choices that are going to cut against the grain of our culture, and that could even cause some conflict among some of your brothers or sisters in Christ when they see you making decisions that they might not make. Again, we kind of poked fun last week at the homeschool, private school, public school thing. That's an easy one. We try to get, sometimes we can try to get other people to run our race. You've got to have your kids in -in fill-in-the-blank school just because for you, maybe that's the way the Holy Spirit is leading you in order for you to live out God's calling on your life. For me, it might be different. So don't try to get me to run your race. I won't try to get you to run mine. Again, there are certain things that we all say yes to, 
That's not what we're talking about this morning. So I want to leave you with this, and then we're going to pray. You have a calling. I don't know what it is. I don't know how you would bumper sticker that. For some of you, you got nothing. It's a blank sheet of paper. Continue to ask the Lord, God, what's, what are these good works that you've created for me to do? Don't uh, avoid that just because up to now you don't feel like you've gotten a lot of clarity. If that's a huge point of uh, contention for you or a point of frustration, please come talk to me. Uh, I'm not the magic eight ball who can point you necessarily to the right thing, but I'll listen to you and together hopefully we can figure out a way forward. Don't just sit there stewing because every time I talk about doing your deal, you don't feel like you have one. So step one is figure out what, what is the wine? What is this grace? that God has given to you. And once you have discerned what that is as well as you can, begin to ask the Lord, God, what does it look like for me to shape my life around this? And for some of you, you have to make radical choices. I see Daniel and Katie White over there. I'll pick on them. A couple of times, they've made uh, huge career shifts based on what they felt like God was calling them to do. She went from being a private practice lawyer to working in juvenile justice, to now staying at home, all because she felt like God was saying, here, I want you to be available for these foster kids. I want you to be available to do that. That's the grace. And so you've got to, and I don't think, did God drop a truckload of money in y'all's? Not yet. Hasn't happened. So, you know, they're having to, that's real for them. They're having to make lifestyle choices based on the grace that God has given to them. That's not to put them on a pedestal. It's just an example of somebody sitting in the room. And sometimes the decisions we have to make are significant for us. It's not just, again, trying to find some time here and there around the margins. It's I'm going to write this on the board first. And then I'm going to figure out what does my life look like if I centered it around this. That's actually a great exercise for some of you who already are full. If I could go back to 22, if I was just graduating from college and I knew this, I knew that God was going to say, it's fostering, that's the thing for you. Or it's human trafficking, and I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to see that end. Or it's working with homeschool moms, or working, at, if you knew that was the thing, what, how would you shape your lifestyle around that? And then begin to ask the Lord, well, how do I get from here to here? Most likely it's not in one step. How do I get from where I am now to this place where my life was fully centered around what you've called me to? So anyway, that's my encouragement to you. If you don't know, ask what, your, what the grace is God is giving to you. If you do know, then begin to ask him, what does it look like to shape my lifestyle around that? Let's pray. God, we do thank you uh, again that you have a calling on our life. I thank you that our lives can have purpose and meaning beyond paying the bills, beyond even having a family beyond raising great kids, beyond any of those things. Our life can have eternal impact, eternal purpose, because you call us to partner with you in what you're doing in our city and in our world, and we want to say yes to that. And God, there's a sense in which a a message like this can do nothing but induce guilt. All the things we're not doing, all the areas where we're not measuring up, and then fear. Well, what am I going to have to change? None of that. I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for freedom. Freedom to hear you and freedom to follow to follow you, knowing you know what's best. You're a good father, and you're not looking to cause any of us unnecessary pain. 
And so, God, my prayer for every man and woman in this room, 22, 32, 42, 72, whatever age we are, that we would take seriously the good works that you have called us to do and that we begin to ask you intentionally, God, what does it look like to shape my life around those things and that you would speak clearly to us. I pray for married couples that this would not drive a wedge between them, that they would both hear together, hey, this is the way that we need to go. We need to walk in this. God, for those who are not yet married, they would begin to base their life around their calling, and that would be one of the uh, litmus tests for them, whether this guy or girl is the one. Do you line up with where I'm heading in life? This is what's most important to me is faithfulness to God in this. I'm not going to shape my life around my spouse. I'm going to look for a spouse who's walking in the same direction as me. So what I pray for that for us, again, not, not guilt, not fear, not heaviness, not manipulation, but just a real sense of expectation and joy and freedom to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to close with ministry time. Uh, you guys can stand.